You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. So as I said, last week we landed right there on Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We talked about how we don't need to worry about all of those crises in our life and crises out there in the world. Um, We can kind of demote their priority in our life, and we can promote the priority of Jesus because we know that he cares about us and that he will provide for us. All right, so that's where we landed last week. Today, what I want us to look at is what does Jesus mean when he actually tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? What, What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Now, um, the passage we looked at last week, as I said, sits within a bigger chunk of teaching, Matthew 5 to 7, and we call that the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? You've got that little chunk of teaching in your head, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, um, I think that is pretty much the most uninspiring name anyone has ever given to a sermon ever. Don't you agree? Like the Sermon on the Mount, who named that? Some theologian at some point. Um, You know, it would be a bit like me saying, today's sermon is called the Sermon on the Stage. (laughs) Today's message is called Preaching from the Pulpit. Whoa, you know, like, really, it's not a very good name, is it? So I think we need a new name for the Sermon on the Mount. Do you have some ideas for me? Come on, hit me. No? Come on. It was just as well I came prepared with my own idea, is it? And you knew, you knew I came prepared with my own idea. So a better, more edgier name, I think, a bit more um, culturally relevant, all right, is going to be Commandments Season 2. Yeah. Can you tell I've been watching too many Netflix series? Yeah. Commandments Season 2. All right, so Commandments Season 2 explains what righteous living in God's kingdom is going to look like. And it clears up a few misconceptions from Commandments Season 1, right? Okay. So um, Jesus is telling us what it looks like to actually seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's incredibly practical. Incredibly practical. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.5 warns us about people who have an outward appearance of godliness, but it's a fake version. There's no real power at work in their life. They, they have what's called a counterfeit faith. Matthew 7, 15 warns us of false prophets who might look good at surface level. You know, they look like sheep, cute, fluffy, all right? But inside, they're the exact opposite. They're like ravenous wolves. I think these passages should strike close to home for for us, the Christian church, the the wider body of Christ. Because I would say there is a problem in the Christian church. Unfortunately, the church often is full of, and I'm not referring to this church here, I'm I'm talking about the wider body of Christ. We've got nice people here, just just, just making that clear. Um, But but there are uh, uh, Christians out there in the wider body of Christ who are abusive and, and hurtful. There are churches out there who, that, that implode in dysfunction, whether it's relational dysfunction or organisational dysfunction. There are Christians, numerous Christians who get hurt. Um, they leave the church. They refuse to fellowship with other believers. There are Christians who deconstruct their faith. 
And often it arises out of a, a hypocrisy they, they notice amongst Christians. And I think all of these problems arise because people are striving for what they think is the kingdom of God, but they're missing the righteousness part. They're forgetting the other bit of that, of that verse. And so people want good churches, right? So they go after the programs and the preaching and the ministries and the music and the crowds and the cash. And look, all of that stuff's not necessarily bad. But if the righteousness of God is not present, then we're chasing after rotten fruit. And eventually the counterfeit is going to be shown for what they truly are. Jesus tells us in chapter 5, uh, 13 to 14, that, that we're salt and light in this world. He tells us that our, our, our goodness is to be on display in this world, it's to be influencing the world for its benefit, it's to bring glory to God. But if salt loses its saltiness, it's, it's no longer good for anything, is it? And we know this verse, we're familiar with it. It's only, only to be you know, thrown out trampled underfoot. Now, I think when we neglect righteousness, we lose our saltiness, don't we? And I think if we, as in the Western church, Christianity, I think if we feel like um, our our governments don't value Christianity, if we feel like uh, the media doesn't value Christianity, if we feel like kind of just people out there in society don't value Christianity, if we feel dismissed and overlooked and trampled, if churches are decreasing, if people are not coming to faith, could it be, as Jesus has said, that we've lost our taste and we are being thrown out and trampled underfoot? And so... We must take Jesus' call for righteousness seriously. All of us. It's not just for someone out there. It's not just for them. It's it's, it's every believer. We cannot think that we are seeking after the things of God if we are not seeking after his righteousness too. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we've got to get a taste for it. We've got to get a, a thirst for righteousness. I've developed a bit of a taste for Woolworth's gluten-free croissants. You know, the taste, the texture, even the, the feel of the heat as I pick them up after they've been in my microwave for 30 seconds. That's all it takes, 30 seconds in the microwave and awesome stuff. And so I order them twi- uh, once per week on my grocery shop and there's two in a packet, so two mornings a week. <laughs> oh, happy days. I get one of these croissants and I get my latte. And, and I mean, it's embarrassing how much joy <laughs> these croissants bring me. You can see it right now, can't you? I'm just, I'm just glowing, you know. Um, I, I hunger for them throughout the week. And you know what? Last week, the supermarket had run out of my croissants and, and I didn't get any. And, um, and, and obviously, because I was thinking about those croissants while I'm writing my sermon, hence it being an example in the sermon, like I, I miss the croissants when I don't have them. I hunger for them, I thirst for them, I crave them. And it, it even briefly crossed my mind to drive to Wagga to buy some. I held back. 
do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Like, do you have a taste for it? If you, if you read the reviews for the gluten-free croissants on the Woolies site, you'll think I'm mad because the majority of people, or many of them, say that they are dry, tasteless, horrid things. Um, you know, often the same thing goes for righteousness, doesn't it? Some people think that righteousness is dry and boring and hard and stale, and they, they dismiss it. But when you get a taste for it, hey... It's good. Now, my life is blessed somewhat temporarily by croissants, but, but righteousness is going to have so much greater impact, isn't it, upon, upon my life. The question is, do you want to be salt and light? Do you want to be different? Good different. So if we are going to prioritise righteousness in our life, the key question is, well, what does true righteousness look like in practice? So Commandments Season 2 is all about Jesus contrasting the difference between true righteousness and fake righteousness. Now, true righteousness, I think, as I've meditated on on our season two this week, uh, true righteousness has, has two things that set it apart from the fake version. Two words, trust and integrity. And I think really we could summarise all of Jesus' teaching here about righteousness with two words, trust and integrity. In Matthew 5.20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were the ones who kind of set the high bar in society for righteousness. If anyone was righteous, it was thought to be them. Jesus says their righteousness doesn't cut it. Dallas Willard says that the Pharisees were committed to following God in a way that many of us are not prepared to do. One factor, however, was always central to their righteousness, externalism. They had an external righteousness. It wasn't one that came from the heart. Um, I've just got a quick video I want, I want to play you, just uh, about to... Okay, so any fans of Utopia here? No? Well, you get on the ABC and have a watch, eh? But Utopia is an Australian satire. It's about the NBA, the Nation Building Authority. And so this, this fictitious authority is a government organisation responsible for major infrastructure projects. So whatever project is at hand, there's plenty of spin, bureaucracy, and there's always a priority on the popular rather than the important. And really, it's all about looking like they are doing the right thing. But they're usually missing the, the real purpose, the real need, the real intent of whatever project they've been tasked with. And so you see in the, in the show, there's two main characters, Rob and Nat, who kind of actually attempt to work with integrity in their job. And then it's contrasted with all of the other characters who lack personal insight and, and demonstrate varying degrees of incompetence and, and selfishness. So when it comes to righteous living, 
we can easily end up being like these characters in Utopia. We can be like the Pharisees who, and, and our righteousness can be external. It can be superficial. And so we can end up trying to follow the letter of the law and completely miss the point of what really matters. We can have the outward appearance of doing the right thing, but inwardly be thinking, doing, wanting something completely different. Or we can just lack insight into our problematic or selfish behaviour and the impact it actually has on other people. So, righteousness, like what is it? How can we actually make sure we don't have just this external fake righteousness? Uh, What I would say is true righteousness actually starts with the heart and it's about a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father. True righteousness starts with the heart and it's about a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, righteousness as as a concept is about being in right relationship with God. It's kind of what it means. We're in right relationship with God and the way we get in right relationship with God would be by living his way, obeying God, living the right way, God's way. Now, we know actually impossible for um, sinful human beings to actually do that, isn't it? We we cannot 100% of the time obey God and 100% of the time live his way. Even when we are in Christ and we have a new nature and we're no longer slaves to sin, um, walking out that new sinless nature is kind of a learned skill, isn't it? And we still all too often seem to put on our old nature. And so we trust that Jesus is the one who puts us in right relationship with God, don't we? That's the only way we get in right relationship with God. We trust in Jesus. He is the one who frees us from sin, who pays the penalty fee for all our unrighteous behaviour, all of our um, terrible life choices, and it's his goodness and his righteousness that is credited to our, uh, as it were, personal account. And so it's through Jesus, who who was completely righteous and holy and, and sinless and pure, it's through him that we are made right with God. And so therefore we are righteous through Jesus. Don't need to earn it. It's about trust and faith. Now, let me for a moment hold that thought. I just want to dip into the Old Testament for a moment because I want to make the point that righteousness has actually always been about the heart trusting God. Deuteronomy 8. We see in there, it's it's interesting, I encourage you, go home and have a read of Deuteronomy 8. But the reason uh, God is leading the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years was not to punish them, for disobeying him. Instead, it was to cultivate righteousness in them. It was to turn them into a people who humbly trusted in God to care for them and provide for them, to meet their needs, and then out of that relationship of trust, they would freely choose to obey God's commands, his ordinances, his his rules. Because they would trust that those rules and commands were good and right, and they would know that God's way was good and right. And so then righteousness would become an internal thing. It would come from their heart. 
Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. It's interesting that in, Moses, in, in um, Deuteronomy 9, Moses makes it really clear to the Israelites that the land and gifts that God would give them is not because of their righteousness at all. Moses tells them three times, he says, it's not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of you that God is bringing you in to occupy the land. He says, you guys are so far short of earning this from God. And so for us, I think it's important for us to remember our righteous living is not the reason God is going to bless us. It's not the reason he loves us. It's not the, the, the reason he's going to provide for us. Righteous living is not um, why God calls us into ministry or into kingdom work. God will instead do all of those things, call us, bless us, care for us, provide for us, because he's committed to loving you. He's in a covenant or a marriage-like relationship with you through Jesus. And more than that, he's, he's committed to seeing his good rule and reign fill the whole earth. And he wants to include you in that process. But it's not because of your righteous behaviour. So true righteousness starts in the heart and it's about a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father first. And then out of that trust, out of that relationship, we want to obey God's laws and commands and his ways. We choose, don't we? We freely choose out of love and respect and honour for our Heavenly Father. We choose to obey and follow. And so I think it's in this context that we need to understand Jesus' preaching in Commandments Season 2. He shows us how righteous living is, is actually entwined in this relationship of trust with our Heavenly Father. And so let me just fly through a few of these passages here where um, we, we see how righteous living is bound up in trust. So if you were to look at Matthew 6, 7, Jesus tells us, pray with simplicity. He says, you don't earn a hearing from God because of your clever prayers. Trust that your father hears you and knows what you need and will answer you because he cares about you. Or Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we're challenged, where do you gain your security and your comfort? Do you trust your heavenly father? Or do you trust yourself? and the things you do. Matthew 6, 24, who are you devoted to? You can't serve God and money. Do you trust God or do you trust money? Which trusting money is just another way of saying you trust yourself, isn't it? Matthew 7, uh, 7 to 11, ask, seek, knock. There's this assurance here that we can ask our Heavenly Father for the things we need. We can trust that he will give us what is good because he is our Father. And fathers provide for their children. And wasn't it good that we sang good, good father earlier today? And so it's out of this relationship of trust that we choose to obey and follow the way of God. And there, there should be righteous fruit in our life. We are to be shaped and formed by righteousness. We are to live the life of a righteous person. 
Matthew Green, in his commentary on Matthew, he says, you cannot have the fruit of righteousness without the root of relationship in the righteous one. I think that sums it up beautifully, doesn't it? So righteousness, two words, trust, integrity. So trust is is the root. We've just looked at that, the root. But I think integrity is the fruit. And I think integrity is is a great word to to summarise what righteousness looks like in practice. Do you ever use the word integrity much? It's a word you think about a lot. Not really, is it? It's an incredibly interesting and um, it's a word of depth, I think. Um, People who live with integrity are going to be committed to doing what is good and right. God defines what is good and right, obviously. But the key distinction here is that they obey not just to be seen to be doing the right thing, but because they want to do the right thing. That's, that's a key thing with integrity here. They are just as committed to doing the right thing um, in, in their head and their heart that's unseen as they are to be seen to be doing the right thing in front of people. So there's an alignment between their will and their ways. There's a, um, there's a real humility and honesty and consistency in the things they say and the things they do. Um, and there's a real honesty and humility and consistency in, in how they treat other people. All right. Now, if you've ever been in a situation, and you probably have, where someone is saying one thing, but they're doing the exact opposite, you'll, you'll know how distasteful and off-putting that is, won't you? In the Bible, we see examples of where God's people might have been obeying the letter of the law, but they're completely missing the heart of that law. They might appear to be living a righteous life, but the way they are treating, um, for example, vulnerable people indicates otherwise. And, And so they lack integrity. It's a fake righteousness that they have. And uh, the book of Isaiah is a great example of where God calls that out. And um, we, we see that the, the God's people there, they're bringing their animal sacrifices, they're bringing their burnt offerings, they're doing their ceremonies, they're doing their Sabbaths, they're doing their religious festivals, they've got the lot, it's all happening. But God says to them, you're not actually doing what is good. You're not actually seeking justice for, for the oppressed for the orphans, for the widows, it's like, this is not what righteousness looks like. And so Isaiah, the prophet, calls out their lack of integrity. He says, there's an inconsistency, folks, in, in, who, in who you act to be and say you are and who you, you really are and the things you really value. He says, you think that you're silver, but you're full of impurities. You think you're choice wine, but you've been diluted with water. Has your life been diluted? Do you, do you go about thinking, yeah, I'm, I've, I've, I'm, you know, I've got it all together. I'm choice wine. I'm a believer. I'm solid in my faith. Are you choice wine or have you just slowly over the years been diluted? Isaiah says, you rulers who should be above reproach, they're on the take from criminals. And in all of this stuff, 
Innocent, vulnerable people are being harmed. And, and really, in many ways, this, this feels like a very contemporary thing, doesn't it? Commandments season two, Jesus gives us very practical examples of what integrity is going to look like. And, and this is particularly in our relationships with one another. And so let's just shoot through some of these really quickly. Uh, Matthew 5.21, Jesus says, murder's wrong, you know that, but a person of integrity knows that anger towards others is harmful and degrading too. 5.27, inner hidden lusts are just as unrighteous as as the outer expressed ones. And so personal integrity means that we're going to deal with our sin decisively and proactively, whether it's a sin of the heart, the mind, the body, so that there's a congruence, so that there's a match between our inner and our outer life. Matthew 5.43 says, love your enemies. Person of integrity, they're going to love and accept those who've wronged them because this is what God does, isn't it? In chapter 6 there, at the start of chapter 6, there's there's a a list of righteous activities that we do. So praying, uh, giving charity to people or fasting, all of those those religious things that we do, um, they they should be done with the right motive. If we do these things for self-promotion or for the admiration of others or even for our own self-admiration, it's not righteous behaviour, is it? If it seeks to honour us, it's not going to honour God, is it? Matthew 6, 12 to 14, a person with integrity will forgive people who've wronged us because we know that God has forgiven us. Matthew 5, to 37 talks about just being honest and simple in our speech and in our promises. We should be people of integrity who can be trusted to simply uh, do what we'll say we'll do, not making grand promises or oaths that we can't keep. Chapter 7, verse 1, a person of integrity will be more concerned with their own shortcomings and sin and and will want to see that it's dealt with and and they'll be content to leave other people's sin to God. Uh, Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, treat others how you would want to be treated. I don't think it's complex stuff, but I think it's stuff that we can overlook and we can kind of feel like we're living a righteous life but you know maybe maybe we're not and and I think the challenge for us here is will you live with true righteousness or or do we have a counterfeit version do we live with integrity humility and honesty and consistency or will we be like the hypocrites and, and be doing things to be praised by people Like, if that's your motivation, you are not going to last doing much of anything in this world if your motivation is the wrong motivation to be praised by people. You know, if you're worried, um, are you more worried by the sin of others rather than our own sin? Do we say one thing and then do another? Commandment season two, it's a challenge. But it's also an invitation. And so I'd say it's an invitation for our daily living to be founded in a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father, the one who sees us through Christ, through Christ's goodness and righteousness. I just want to remind you, you've been gifted true righteousness. It comes from Jesus. Don't ever forget that. But of course the challenge is, 
Well, don't live with the fake version if you've been given the real thing. And, and so we are uh, to look to, to cultivate and grow this in our life so that it becomes fruitful. We're to identify and uproot fake righteousness so that the true righteousness of Christ, which has been planted in our heart, can flourish. And um, I think of the parable of the sower there comes to mind with this. And so could I encourage you this week, read Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Read it a few times. Read it every day if you can. And and as you read, perhaps God will speak to you about some some very specific things. This is a pointy passage if you spend a bit of time in it. Um, Immersing myself in this passage this week has been um, illuminating, to put it mildly. Uh, So be prepared. If If you seriously read this passage with an open heart, God will show you things. You might be uncomfortable. But, you know, after immersing myself in this passage for a week, I'm, I'm craving in a good way righteousness. I don't feel condemned. I don't feel shame. I'm just like, yeah, righteousness. This is good. I want to see, you know, the goodness of God flourish in my life. I, all that stuff that's ugly and broken and yuck, get it out of there. Who can I forgive? <laughs> Who am I angry with? Oh, let's get it out. Hey, this is good stuff. So for us this week, I've left you with a challenge and an invitation. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, yeah, look, we're just, um, we're just grateful that, that righteousness doesn't really depend on us that it is about trusting you. And so, Lord, would you just make that real to us? Would uh, just your love for us flourish? Would we just be a people who just have a deep revelation of, of who you are as, as a good and loving Heavenly Father and that you will provide for us? And, and Lord, would we just really know what it, it means to trust you? in our daily life, to trust you with the matters of our heart, to trust you with um, the the good, the bad, and the ugly in our life. And Lord, would we have a revelation about what it means for the the righteousness of of Jesus to be planted in our lives? Would you show us uh, all the ways there is a a fake or a superficial righteousness? And and, um, Lord, we just want to We want to see that gone. We want that uprooted from our life. Lord, we want to be people of integrity, Lord, people who are consistent in our, in our heart's desires and our outward actions. Lord, make us to be a, a people who, who shine like light, who truly are salty in our, in our world. Lord, when people hear us speak, when they see our life, when they see our actions, would it be um, you know, salty in, a, in, in such a, an exciting and attractive way, Lord? So, Father, I just pray that we would be people of integrity, and would the righteousness of Jesus truly be at work in our life and shining in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.